Hi, good day listeners. Welcome back to a new episode of an African Perspective podcast. And here with me today are my co-hosts, Dr. Mbimbori Seifa, Mariam Detti, and Mercy Kwabi. Today we'll be discussing the impact of climate change on Africa's human security. This is an interesting and important topic as since the past few years, climate change has become a new security challenge across the globe. And for Africa as well, we've seen a different approach to climate change. But first, we have to clarify what security mainly is and also what human security is um, before we start um, this broad dis- um, discussion. And with that, we'll be having Dr. A.B. start the discussion for us. So please, can you explain to us what security is generally and also what is human security? So when we talk about security and human security, I'm not going to go much into the whole, I mean, the academic conversation of what security is, but in within the context of today's conversation, the focus is on what should be secured or who should be secure. Now, for a very long time now, we have um, this view whereby security should be state-centered. But human security, we are now advocating for that shift from state sec- um, from the state being the center of who should be protected to human or individuals. The United Nations Human Rights Commission defined human security as um, freedom from want, freedom from fear, and um, freedom to be able to protect oneself or better one's life, essentially. And so with human security, we're now focusing basically on this st- on, on state's resources on the security of human beings. And now with the United Nations Development Program, seven components were identified, which is, um, the, um, which is political security, food security, health security, environmental security, personal security, community security, and I think I'm not mentioned economic security as well. So that is just basically what security and human security is, you know, in a nutshell. Yeah. So that's, um, thank you for trying to summarize all this and not giving us the very academic thing. But one thing I liked was how you talked about this shift in the um, how we look at security, which made me think of the Copenhagen School, looking yeah. at the securitization concept, yeah. which is very interesting that because, um, because when we look at the securitization com- concept by Copenhagen School, now that's when we can bring in climate yeah. change into Absolutely. this. Absolutely. So, um, Thank you for that. And accordingly, now we'll now focus as, as well into understanding what is um, understanding what climate change is and um, the causes of it. And also, um, we'll, so we'll be looking through, as you mentioned, human security has the seven components, which is something we are going to go all through. But first of all, we'll look at as well, what can Mariam please, can you please explain to us, first of all, what is climate change and also some of the causes of climate change? Okay, so... I might be a bit, you know, giving you a bit of, I mean, not figures, but talking in degrees and things like that. So I'm not going to be like every year, not take big it again, because you can't take that out of, you know, what climate change is. Mm. Um, so first things first, people say this is probably the most significant problem of our time because of how it affects lives, human lives. Um, so it's, it is said that it started from the Industrial Revolution in the 1950s. That was when we saw a spike in the emission of carbon dioxide. And that is because of so the CO2 emission went up because of the change in human activity at the time. Uh, so burning of more fossil fuels, we saw at the time oil and coal to power household industries for transportation, etc., etc. Um, then there's the population growth, the global population growth, meaning increased demand for products and services. Um, and this requires more emissions. 
increased consumption of animal products, uh, releasing methane into the atmosphere. So these are more of the causes before I get to even what it is. Uh, so these gases that are released, so now this is what climate changes. When the gases are released into the atmosphere, and then sunlight hits the atmosphere, then it gets trapped, and then the planet gets warmer. So it's like there's this vacuum. So you're living in this sort of vacuum where the heat keeps heating up because there's this emission of gases that just remain in the atmosphere. Then sunlight hits it, and then it gets warmer. The world or the atmosphere gets warmer. This is what we call greenhouse effect. Then um, we were at one degree at some point, um, a pre-industrial age, way you know pre-industrial age. And then by the time we hit 1950, it just spiked. And then now we're moving towards uh, 1.5 degrees. Um, the issue, they say, is not the speed, uh, sorry, is the speed of the warming itself, not the warming itself. Yeah. So it's not the warming itself, it's the speed of the warming. So because in the, in the past 10 years, we've seen that we've moved and then um, about 0.5 degrees. And then we're going to move another 0.5 degrees in another 10 years. That's too fast. So it would warm up, and then we would make accommodation for it. But then at the speed at which it's going, there's no way we can accommodate you know, this, the speed. So if the Earth stays at 1.5 degrees, according to the United Nations, at the end of this century, which is 2100, yeah. um, we should be fine. That won't be too fast. However, in the next 10 years, we're going to hit that and probably go over to maybe 2 degrees, which is too fast. You know, And so catching up and putting the bosses that we need to protect whatever it is that we need to protect, you know, the um, earth warming of the e effect and the impact that it's having on human beings, on health, on, on li livestock, on, on um, the economy, on, you know, weather and temperatures rising. And so we see, we see sea levels, see like, rising sea levels. We see droughts. We see cyclones in places we've never seen them. You see floods. You see drought. Rain not falling for holy and certain places. Then you see rain. We've seen, there was a case of rain in Australia. A year worth of rain in seven days. So that wiped out an entire region. We're seeing forest fires every single year. So, and these are all what the e effects of um, climate change. Climate change. Um, so, so the target now is two degrees by 2100. However, with the speed at which we're going, we're going to hit, hit that at, uh, by 2030. Meaning that we have to slow things down. You know, so um, we have certain things that happened. Donald Trump uh, pulling out of um, by the Paris deal. Uh, we have Turkey and Poland saying we have to build more power plants because we're industrializing China and Russia not meeting their requirements and agreement. So the, the, the industrialized states or the ones that are industrializing now, fast industrializing, growing states are the ones that are polluting more. So back to Africa, let me bring it since we're talking about Africa. Um, this is a global problem, but it's caused by industrialized nations. Africa only emits 5% or a little less than 5%, so about 4.8% of the entire global emission, which uh, with 50% with, with of that in South Africa, from coming from South Africa. So Africa is not the problem, but then we're bearing the brunt of what it is happening around the world or what the industrialized nations are causing. So this is what climate change is, and these are the causes of climate change. Thank you so much for briefing it. Very interesting trying to understand as well because when we talk about climate change, we just know, yeah, it's the world getting warmer. But understanding the concept of how this warmness comes about. And it's um, very interesting and very important that we have this conversation due to what you just said about Russia and China not meeting up with um, the agreements and stuff. Somewhere like Africa, we are not really emitting. We are, yes, we are emitting, but we are not emitting that much. But so much impact has happened to us, and yet we are one of the least industrialized areas in the world. So, which is um, why we have to now 
move the discussion of climate change from the environmental lens, which is the main focus always, and look at the other components. And starting with that, Mercy, please, um, Mercy will kick off us, kick us off with um, discussing the impact of climate change on food and health security in Africa. Okay, before I go there, I'm just going to talk about, like, in one minute, I'm just going to talk about the whole obligation to meeting um, the adaptative policies of climate change. It can be very, they are very demanding. So we've had a lot of conferences and a lot of international summits, uh, COP26 just rounded up last year. And one of the things that was discussed, first of all, is how... Uh, in Africa, we really do not understand the impact of climate change due to some factors, which I'll come to. And then, secondly, the demand on highly industrialized nations is not realistic because you... I mean, what are the most industrialized nations? We have China, we have um, India. These are not, like, top countries. I mean, China is, but then India isn't. So how do you expect this country, who is, like, a secondary... Uh, industrialized country. I mean, most of the things that they are processing are not even owned by their country. It's not business. It's from other countries. So these are outsourced businesses. Yes. So who should... And this is where the conversation has been capitalized on. Who should bear the responsibility? Is it the home countries where these um, Companies. companies are? Or should it be the industrialized places? Now, when we now narrow it down to Africa, a couple of things we need to understand. There's something called NAP, which is National Adaptation Plan. So these are plans that are supposed to be made at the country level after every summit, at the country level for um, every country to be able to monitor their carbon footprint and know what they're supposed to do to reduce their carbon footprint. Then you find that in Africa we don't even take this thing seriously because, I mean, look at our challenges. If we want to start talking about imminent challenges that we can see up front, climate change does not even come close to it. Then we now have the fact that from a religious perspective, some people believe that no, this is just the way the world is. Like That's things just course. yeah, things just happen either way. So because we have more pressing security issues, we have um, many human actions here that obviously lead to environmental degradation. You see that we do not respect the Paris Accord in Africa. I'll, Funny enough, ninety about ninety two percent of African countries are signed to the Paris Accord. Then you find that we have a lot of shifting rain patterns, right? Um, shifting rain patterns means that obviously it will affect the agriculture, it will affect the environment. So in places where there is now more rain, especially in the Sahel region, so the Sahel region never used to have as much rain as it's having now, and because of that, there are now more waterborne diseases. So you have more of cholera, you have more of malaria. Um, I saw a research, yes, you have more of typhoid. I saw a research that was talking about how uh, malaria and typhoid has increased by 42% since 2012. And the reason it has increased is because of climate change. Then you now have the security aspect as well, uh, where you find, uh, like, let's say the farmer headers crisis. For example, you have these headers moving from one region to the other because of agriculture, vegetation. and These are all cases of... Um, 
these are all the impacts of climate change on Africa. Then you also have the fact that, I mean, drilling in the South-South, we're not so far from the South-South, the drilling in the South-South, the oil, oil spillage, reduced um, fishery or fish resources. Then you also have, um, I mean, so many other things. So you have increased death rates, I mean, due to starvation, due to, to the fact that there is no water. Shifting from that, now we'll have Mariam discussing the impacts on environmental and economic security. Okay, so, I mean, when you talk about economic security, I'll have to talk about a bit of what Mercy um, has talked about in terms of, um, you know, um, food security, because it's tied. Looking at Africa as, you know, agriculture being a critical um, part of Africa's economic security um, because of, the, you know, subsistence sort of um, agriculture and, you know, small farms and in certain parts, like big farming in terms of, you know, economic um, activity, uh, farming as a huge economic activity. Um, before I get into that, let me talk about certain things. Um, so when you talk about environmental security, right, um, the rains, like she talked about, Messi talked about, you see the, the cyclones, um, you see, you know, the, the, the droughts, then there's something that's happening now. You know, the desert moving in, so we see it in Namibia, you know, you see it so in um, certain parts of Africa, so especially places uh, like Namibia, Chad. So you're seeing desert moving in and taking over people's lives. It is so high that, you know, they can't live in those places anymore. You know, you wake up someday, you know, after several sandstorms, and then your house is half buried. So they keep moving, and this is causing what, um, migration. So mm -hmm. you have this, what you call climate migrants, right? Mm -hmm. um, so... The disease is coming to play as well when you talk about the environment because then you have to link diseases to that. Um, so you have excessive rain in certain places. You have no rain, so the aberration in rainfall patterns. Some places there rain, there's rain, some no rain. You have uh, the floods, like presently we're seeing floods in KwaZulu-Natal, right? It's quite, quite, mm -hmm. quite a lot in South Africa. You have the cyclone that has never been experienced in that part in Southern Africa, which came and wiped out most of Mozambique, and people are still in, in a... Uh, um, refugee camps um, three years three years later um, so then moving on to economic security what you see with economic security is like I mentioned earlier agriculture being a big part of Africa's economy you know either um, you know in a small scale or big scale so it's micro or macro however you want to see it Af um, Africa is an agricultural continent so <clears throat> then with climate change coming in and changing you know agricultural uh, activities on the African continent, low production in some places, you know, um, inability, so we, you see drought, so obviously people can't plant. You see what is worse even in southern Africa is that their livestock, they have to sometimes kill them because they see them suffering and they have this, they have this, you know, um, they have to take the decision either to kill them, so slaughter them, you know, and probably feed people with them or just slaughter them and leave them there to rot. Because animals drop dead. So imagine that a lot of farmers in South Africa have filed for bankruptcy. And so, I mean, this is part of the you know, economic security. Where is, you know, they're not secure anymore economically. So you see people falling into poverty. One, it's a subsistence because, to so look at ch like Chad Basin as well. The drying up of the Lake Chad Basin. Not only is it causing conflict, it is um, for subsistence for three, four countries are sharing that, right? Mm -hmm. So there's no fishing. There's no irrigation from that. Then, then there's no feeding of livestock. Because of that, people are losing their means of livelihoods. 
right? So poverty is deepening. Then you see, so it has destabilized local markets. Food prices have gone up. We've seen increased food prices on the African continent. Then there's decrease in subsistence economies, like I said, worsening water security in, in places, decreasing fish resources, you know, because of the certain areas, you know, then because the large scales are drying up. And then the smaller lakes have dried up almost completely in certain parts of Africa. So we see, you know, the poverty, the migration, this is affecting, you know, you know economic security of um, Africa. Yeah, so this is all very interesting, we can have um, all these different um, impacts because, yeah, I was also thinking about the Lake Chad Basin, looking at the dra um, how it's been basically draining itself and how that has led to the farmer header crisis as well because of the movement of livestock from the northeast into places like the Middle Belt. And also looking at River State, actually whenever they talk about the black suit, basically the entire um, atmosphere, when you just breathe in anything, you just put your hand by your nose and all you can see is black suit. So we're seeing this environmental degradation also happening and all these things. And as they said, like the Ogoni land, it will take over how many years to basically clean it up. So we're just seeing all these different things. So um, for the last part of the components, we'll have Dr. A.B. discussing the impact on, on the political community and also physical security of Africa by climate change. Okay, so when you are looking at the impact of climate change on the political community and um, personal security, um, it's, um, it's almost difficult to find a direct link between climate change and that. But the argument is that climate change is seen as a stressor you know, stressing already existing issues or insecurities in the particular country or state. And so with um, the community, personal and political, they kind of overlap or inter, they are kind of interwoven. So with the um, personal security, I think that one is quite on the nose, um, judging from the conversations we've already had about how climate change can disrupt, like uh, Miriam mentioned, the flood that happened last week in South Africa. Mm -hmm. there. And so we've, based on the reports, over about 60 or 70 people were killed in that event as a result of that. So that is kind of on the nose glaring. And so when you talk about, um, from the community perspective, in most cases when they define community security, they are mainly talking about how um, people are able to, how people are able to, I mean, the, the freedom to belong to a community or communities, the freedom to, you know, be part of a family and things like that. So where climate change comes into this part of um, insecurity has to do with displacement. So as a result of maybe flooding or tornadoes or earthquakes, which you've seen, you know, across Africa in the last about 10 to 15 years, even famine and drought as well, you've had people had to leave their ancestral homes or their ancestral lands, having to migrate to other places, some not willingly in some cases, so they become climate refugees or climate change migrants. So that is part of the conversation. And then regarding political security, this is a little bit much more complicated because, I mean, with political security, you're talking about the freedom to have your political views, political ideology. So the argument is that to really have that direct link between climate change and political security, in most cases, you would have to see how climate change impacts stresses on political events that are being, you know, that are being expressed through political violence. It could be, um, let me really think not so far, hopefully, maybe something a little bit contemporary. Like, okay, like when you look at the issue, Okay, it's actually, I think it's actually an example of climate change here. When you look at the Lake Chad, I mean, you have our water, you have the water wars going on mm -hmm. in Lake Chad for some years now. It has been shrinking because of rising 
temperature. And so you have the communities, and it's quite unfortunate how Chad and Nigeria and Cameroon has not gone to war because of that. And I think we actually have to, you know, commend our leaders in being able to manage that situation in the sense that we don't go to war. So you have these communities in those countries there, and sometimes they do have clashes because of competition for these same water resources. But really bringing it into political security. So when you have people having different political views, like what we have in Mali, you know, the people of northern Mali, they have a particular view in terms of being a separatist state. And unfortunately, climate change has exacerbated that form of violence because of droughts, because of, apart from droughts, what else is actually happening there in northern Mali? I can't really remember, but because of droughts mainly. So according to, there's a particular study I read, although I don't really understand it properly, where the argument was that in times of extreme weather, extreme um, dry season or wet season, violence tends to peak. I mean, from the perspective of the rebels, they are able to, they fight more in wet season because most of the trucks or the armored tanks or things um, of the of the state's military are unable to move during those regions. So it's quite interesting. Don't really know how to bring that in here. But then again, the argument for climate change and community, personal and political insecurity is leveraged more on the idea of climate change being a stressor to already existing um, is issues, insecurities. Yeah, yeah. that's a very interesting way. Actually, looking at that's when, vi when violence peaks and everything. Yeah. So that's um, the conclusion of our discussion. Um, it has been very enlightening because we've seen all the different perspectives, the different impacts of climate change has on our lives, one way or the other. Indirectly, we all have this impact. So um, lastly, what we just go through is to just hear recommendations by you all on climate change security, um, climate change as a security challenge. So we'll start with you, um, Mercy, and recommendations. The thing with the adaptive policies that implementing them is very expensive. And, you know, for African states, even things that are not expensive, we cannot really do. Talk less more of things that would be very demanding because for you to monitor if this um, policies are implemented. There has to be an institution which is, which should originally be Ministry of Environment that goes to monitor this experiment or do their experiments and all of that. So I feel like, um, in as much as we are not capable of diversifying our attention to many security issues, it is time we start taking climate change very seriously because I don't think we do take it seriously. Even in our house, I checked and in the last four years, there have been no discussions in the National House of Assembly towards climate change. No discussions, no hearing, no bill, nothing towards climate change. And I feel like it's because we don't take it very seriously. So my recommendation would be that the time has come. The time has come to take it seriously. And I hope that we will. Okay. Um, thank you very much. Um, Mariam, any recommendations? Okay, so before that, just briefly, I want to talk about what the world and what Africa is doing about you know, oh, yeah. climate change. So we see the world, like Mercy talked about earlier, with conferences and, you know, so many things happening. Um, recently she said she mentioned the COP26, right? Um, so there's a lot of money that's been pledged, $100 billion in climate finance um, yearly, right? Um secure global net uh, zero by mid-century and keep 1.5 um, degrees within reach, you know, by accelerating, you know, um, the phase out of coal, you know, all this using, so basically energy transition. And this is where I'm coming to. So my recommendation is that, like Mercy has said again, it's the cost, it's costly. And this is why there's something called um, the, excuse me one moment, 
climate debt. And this is to be paid by the rich nations. Climate debt should be, as, as has been suggested, should be paid by the rich nations because when she was talking about who should pay, as said, the, the, the richer industries and industrial nations that are producing off, you know, base, meaning in other countries, or, or these countries that they're being produced in. So is it China and India, or should it be the um, the EU that's producing in, in China and India? And it is said that it makes more sense because it's the money the money's flowing back to them. So they should be the ones, they're the richer nations. Right? They should be the ones um, paying this climate debt. And it's from this climate debt that nations, that especially developing nations, which mostly in Africa, we, who are emitting a lot less than the rest of the world, mm -hmm. insignificant amount of emissions, really, uh, should then, you know, be um, get, get whatever funding they require to monitor. Because really, to be honest, monitoring how much you, what, what you're emitting is costly. Like Mercy said, we have bigger issues. So this is not what we're looking at. We're looking at uh, so poverty. We're looking at you know. We're looking at basic things, infrastructure. We're looking at out-of-school children, you know, basic healthcare. So looking at climate change is just like it's almost like a luxury, you know, if you look at it. So um, when they decide, you know, to really truly start paying their climate debt, then we start this monitoring and then the energy transition because without energy transition it cannot be overemphasized truly without energy transition there's no way we can halt the warming up of the atmosphere um, another thing is that with recent e uh, recent uh, events of climate change in Europe that we see you remember what happened in Germany you remember this year in uh, you know the floods in Germany yeah. how we swept yeah. they've never seen anything like it and then with, with, with you know, um, the hurricane that we saw in England this year. So a lot of things are happening. In the Americas, what they're seeing. In Australia, the rains that they're seeing. So quite a lot of things are happening. So they're beginning to then say, okay, you know what? Maybe it's time we take this seriously. And then when we have the skeptics, like Donald Trump out and certain people come back, come in and, you know, so maybe then it would flow. But the thing is energy transition. They say that, you know, we, you in the citizens of, these rich industrialized nations should be made aware of the impact of the global impact of climate change and then how it would eventually affect them as well. Because not only would it affect them in terms of, you know, their floods and rains, but migration as well. So with migration you're going to the migrants are going to stress the resources of nations and this is this is really what countries don't want this. So they try to keep peace in places. They're going to start doing that with climate change. They're going to try, you know, to sort that out so that you don't have a lot of migrants flowing in, so that you don't have a lot to spend in terms of taking care of people. And um, finally, when you know you have your aware people, citizens of rich developing nations who, who are the major consumers are aware of, you know, how their consumerism is impacting. Um, climate change, then maybe, just maybe, they can put pressure on their government, like we see in a few places what they're doing. So the thing is, going green, you know, so this on green consumerism needs to be halted and needs to be stopped. But then, we can afford it in Africa, so we need the funds. And then, it's, we can only get that when they pay their climate debt. Talking about capitalism, now we're going to bring in things like capitalism, we're going to bring in things like um, non-industrialized or countries that want to industrialize so if you're t because china's argument is that if the world is saying cut down your emissions the world has already i mean other parts of the world you're already industrialized fully and you're a rich nation i want to get there as well i want to reach that level of development as well so why do you want to stall my development when you're already there and that is the same thing with african nations if we're trying to, because we're trying to industrialize right so we're trying to we're trying to move from you know 
primary products from resources into industry because you need to industrialize to get to a certain level of development. Now I'm talking about development. So the question now is that why are you telling me when I'm emitting very little, you're telling me, okay, you know what, you need to do renewables. The thing is, one is costly. So that cost will be transferred not just to 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 producers but to consumers as well mm-hmm. and the government as well because the government might have to step in and then mm-hmm. what now you know help help out in terms of subsidies yeah, uh, so the cost is just too much for these countries so what to do about this what can be done what is fair to these nations that are coming up and trying to industrialize and then mercy has mentioned in our bo- uh, walk to board uh, to to studio our little chat, walk to studio, conversation about capitalism. Are we going to change ideologies? Because this is about capitalism. Yeah. This is about consumerism. Yeah. This is about production. Yeah. Are we going to stop and or change ideologies because of climate change? There's this organization. What can be done? Yeah, there's this organization known as Food and Agriculture Organization, FAO. the yeah. FAO. And their progression is basically that by 2030, which is eight years from now, mm-hmm. Africa will not be able to feed itself because of the changing climate. Given that we are not the biggest contributor, you can see that we would suffer yes. a lot. And you see, when I was talking about how climate change, like all the conferences, all the policies are not realistic, one of the aspects of being realistic is that for you to adapt to these policies, ideologies must change. Yes. Are we ready to stop being capitalists? Because then be what? the climate change ideology is being minimalist, meaning that if you, no matter how rich you are, Mm. You have one car, one house. There's yeah. no need to have houses in everywhere. Yeah. No, there's no need to have 20, 30 cars, cars. because these are things that add to Carbon climate issue. issues mm. and all of that. So if we're going to talk about like, how do we move in this, the first thing we need to fix is ideology. Mm. And I don't think the world is ready for that conversation yet because who are the people even giving this money mm. for climate change actions? Is the capitalist. So where are we now bridging that gap between what should what is right and then what is wrong or how we're going to manage industrialization? I feel like with the fourth industrial wave we've moved past that whole um conversation. We can't go back on industrialization. We can't say we will not be industrious anymore. Exactly. Do you understand? So the only way we can attack this is through ideology, changing ideology and trying to get people to understand that less is more. <laughs> Reduce your you know. But nobody yeah. likes the. I don't like the sound of that. Nobody Which, likes the yeah. sound of that. Yeah. It's very unhuman to not want a lot of things because this is who we are. So we want more. We, I want to be able to drive when I want to. Mm. I want to be able to have more than one car if I if I want it, if I can afford it. I want to be able to live that life that probably I've been looking at other people living, and that is yeah. what it is. It's very un-African to be honest. But you know that Africa is very, is very open to green energy but that's, because we don't have. To be honest, we lack other forms of energy. That is it. <laughs> so we're very, very open to green yeah. energy. But the thing is, in the if we had those, we probably wouldn't. Hmm. But what I just found very interesting, what you were just um, talking about, about the different options, I just remembered as well, um, this policy basically, I think it's just in Kigali, Rwanda has, I think it's just Kigali, not in the entire country, whereby they have a day whereby no car is driven. So everyone cycles to walk, or okay, you walk. Yeah, and certain everything. countries have that. Where yeah. so the these number, are the things I yeah. think we can do. But, this uh, is but it's an African thing. I think somehow, um, as you mentioned, having houses over different places, a lot of cars, because wealth is something. Luxury is very important to us. But when we try and actually just live according to what we need, mm. not that want, not that societal pressure, then maybe we can start moving but you somewhere. See, you s- but you s- then, as we just mentioned as well. 
what is Africa really contributing to this um, yeah. carbon emission? Nothing much. So if we're, how can we compromise so much? And then the other parts of the world who are really, really having these carbon emissions are not really compromising that and much. And we're bearing the brunt of and the say, climate. Yeah, in Kigali, they can do that because probably everybody works within a five-mile radius yes. from their home. You can't tell me that I live in Nyanya. To be coming to Lagos, airport road. think of Lagos. To be coming to mainland, airport mainland to Ireland. Yeah, to be coming to to, to ride a bicycle. Of bicycle yeah. Maybe that's another What they option. do is what I know certain countries do, and this is I think Morocco and certain countries is that odd num- on from let's say Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, only odd, odd number car plates would, would drive on that day. So you have to carpool. Then even numbers would drive other days. So there are less cars on the road. But what about airplanes? Another thing is for me, it's not even that. There's a mismatch. Oh, so I would go and recycle in the West, right? Mm. You recycle in, let's say I, I live in the West. I would recycle. I would do all the right things that I'm supposed to do there. However, the beef that is being flown from Japan, mm. do you know how much emission that is? Mm-hmm. One, there's methane from mm. that beef. Then flying it over all the way to probably England for me to have it. Mm. That is more than, you know, a lot more than me doing my, my, my recycling at all. You know, I'm emitting a lot more. My footprint is a lot more because mm-hmm. of that. So now it's lifestyles that need to change, like like um, Mercy has said. We need to change. Our ideology, the lifestyles need to change. But we know that a lot of us are not ready to change those lives, that my lifestyles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's going to be tough. Then with, with, with what you're saying about this industri- industrialist and industri- industrious nations and companies and whatever it is that she was talking about, the thing with them is that are they going to stop producing? And if they're going to stop, if they, they're not going to stop producing your phones, your, they're not going to stop doing that. Your cars, they're not going to Never. stop doing that. Because demand, globalization. So the key thing ideology, yeah. Yeah. really. So that means we're targeting this capitalism, but then what And then citizens, citizens have to say, no, this is what it is. I have, you have to wake up and say, I don't want this. If you don't, if you don't make it green, I don't want it. Mm. Is it possible? Ah, can well, you get people is. to collectively agree on stuff Well, that's like that. one thing that we hardly yeah. can do, right? Yeah. Hardly can do. So for my recommendation, I think we should focus on awareness, more like educating everyone about you know, what climate change is, how it can impact our environment, but more importantly, what we can do to mitigate climate change. Something as simple as recycling, for example, those are the kind of things I think we can talk about and you know, to kind of piggyback right, their own recommendation as well, adapt, adapting. So climate change is already here, just like the COVID-19, and we need to live with it. So I think we need to adapt and... Hopefully, we'll be able to win the war against climate change. <laughs> oh, I hope so. And lastly, yeah, um, I think yeah, the main recommendations I also have has already have already been mentioned. Adapting to the new world as it is today, and climate change, and basically industrialization, is basically here to stay. Because really, is it going to go anywhere anytime soon? I don't think so, because of demand and also globalization in itself. So rather, I think what Africa has to do is. We have to as well be ready for the impact. So even if we say we are going to um, reduce our carbon emissions and, and and everything, are other countries going to do that? Most likely not, because the majority of these countries really do not have it as hard as it is for us. Because look at the migration we are also fa- um, facing, actually from Eastern Africa, we have a lot of people migrating out of Africa because of the impact on, of climate change on their society. So we have to be ready. And we had the World Health Organization um, leader basically saying there's still a divide in the world. When there are African issues, that's not really a priority for the world. So rather, Africa has to address its own problem. We have the African Union. 
we have all the sub-regional organizations. We all have our health set, health organizations and stuff where we have to now prioritize. We are looking at, um, Mercy um, mentioned about the rise in the cases of typhoid, cholera, malaria. What are we doing towards it? Because really, is it going to drop anytime soon? It's not. So rather, we now have to address this issue. Uh, do we need um, vaccines? Do we need medicines? How are we going to address all this? Looking at population as well. Very, very important. Despite all this, population is not really slowing down. It keeps the, uh, increasing. So we have to control all that. So I think it's us adapting and being ready for whatever is going to happen. Because it's better to be ready than to just wait for it to just happen. And that's when we'll start looking through for solutions from other places. So I think, yeah, that should be the conclusion of all this. Thank you very much for your insights on this topic. And hopefully we hear more discussions about it and policies come out which will also be implemented properly by not just um, our government, the African um, governments, but as well by even members of the public because it takes two to tango, as they say. Everyone has a role to play when it comes to climate change, not just about the government, but as well start with us as individuals. So thank you very much, and until next time, this is an African Perspective Podcast. Thank you. <laughs>